Hey everybody, welcome again to F This Movie. Happy New Year, happy 2019. My name is Patrick Bromley. Joined for this very special 2018 podcast. That's how we like to start the year, by talking about last year. It is our annual rundown of the overrated, the underrated, and the ugly. Meaning I am joined, as always, for this very special episode by JB. And it was a hap, hap, happy year. But let me tell you, as the site's resident crank, there's mm. all this... I'm not? Oh, it's you? I, it might be. Okay, we're going to... Okay, pause it. We're going to arm wrestle. I've had a year. Um, all this uh, flippity-flop on uh, Twitter about there's no such thing as a bad movie, and it's just not for you, and people who make worst list. Now, cleverly, we're ahead of the curve because we've never really done a worst list. Right. But... There is such a thing as something that's bad or something that didn't turn out right or something that's artistically bankrupt. I don't know. Lately, it's like if if we if we succumb to Twitter pressure, it would be like, well, maybe we should just shelve the <laughs> overrated, underrated podcast. Or in a new running joke that my son and I now share, anytime you're going to do something that might be a little un-PC, mm-hmm. you hire Leonard Malton. To oh. introduce it okay. and say, this movie was a product of the time. <laughs> so two things. One, I recognize that there are things that – this is something I've been saying forever. Not that there's no such thing as a bad movie, but that every – even a bad movie, every movie is somebody's favorite movie. Sure. And this was something you kind of said in your last your, – your thankful column, right? Where it was like even bad movies oh. are – you know, can be good or movies that we like or whatever. So I, I, I mean, I wouldn't say there's no such thing as a bad movie, but I recognize that like a movie that's bad to me isn't bad to someone else. Um, but also, you know, the, the whole thing about overrated, and this is something we've been saying for years that we should, it doesn't work in the name and it won't fit on the screen, <laughs> but it, I mean, you know, it's something we should change to like the underrated, the ugly and the, I don't get it because again, overrated suggests you people are wrong for liking it, which I don't like. But I find saying, everybody like this. Everybody's having fun at this party. How come I'm not? And and I think that's a really good way to put it because by definition, our the what we're saying when we're talking about underrated is I don't understand within my limited sphere right. why this isn't getting talked about more. Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Also, I'm making a, a New Year's pledge turning over a new leaf that according to my lovely wife I have to stop interrupting you so much. Oh that's right. Be- because on the last podcast apparently you were like in the middle of a point and I said pizza <laughs> and you said there's this pause and you go okay and you just let me talk. I and like pizza. I don't want to be well that's for illustrative purposes <laughs> uh, only I don't want to be that guy no. so I'm going to interrupt you. Less. That is okay. This is something that I'm sure will come up more on next week's show because what? next week we're doing our best of. And that always devolves into a fist fight. <laughs> but um, every top 10 list that I've looked at, which, you know, every year I grow a little bit more jaded because I feel like we're talking about the same 10 movies in different order. Um, this this year, that's I, I really mean, true I with I a couple like it's of true every year, but like. Everyone says it's been such a great year for movies, and I just have to accept that this was a hard year for me, and so I am not – I haven't fallen in love with anything. 
I recognize I, there have been lots of good movies. I've loved almost nothing. I think there was a lot of really, really good movies, and I'm wondering if, because I'm going through that process right now, because I know the top ten show is coming up, that maybe all of us are using somehow the same process to winnow them down. So it was a great year, and there were a lot of great movies, but somehow we're all arriving at our top ten the same way. Yeah, I just usually there's at least three on my list that I'm yeah. like, oh, I can't live without these movies, and I don't have that this year, even though I know that there's more than ten that could be on a list because they're really good. Yes. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, uh, so we're going to talk about some movies that we wish had gotten maybe more attention, uh, some movies that uh, we feel left out of the love for, and then some movies that... Here's the thing about this. This is how I know that either that something's wrong with me. <laughs> this is how I know. <laughs> um, I had a real easy time making my picks for ugly and a much harder time with the other two. Okay. I would agree. I think my experience was the same because a movie came out this year, which we'll get to, which might be the worst movie of the last five years. Really? Yeah. And as the year went on, the more I thought about it, it was like, yeah. And to those who still make worse list, it's showing up okay. all over the place. So okay. it's not like I'm alone screaming in an alley. Okay. Um, so we usually start with underrated because yeah, it's fun to start on a positive note. Let's start on a positive note. So uh, I will turn to you, sir. What is your first pick for an underrated movie of 2018? Realizing that I like this movie more than you did. Mm. Um, I still think Hostels was underrated. I think it's technically 2017, not oh. to nitpick, but... Okay. <laughs> and Do you have an alternate? Given when I saw it, that's yeah. probably the well, case. Well, it was one of those that didn't get a release until 2018. Here. And I was so taken with the fact that I actually got to see it in a theater. Right. Uh, my next one... That was quick. This, is, <laughs> this podcast, instead of pan shot, let's call this podcast Lickety Split, might not be underrated because it's actually showing up on 10 best lists. Okay. But it's so rare that a comedy hits the mark. I do think we should acknowledge Game Night. Yeah. Um, that in form, in function, in trailer, it resembled a lot of other bad comedies sure. this year. Yeah. I'm looking at you, Tag. Um. <laughs> But Game Night is amazing, and I'm trying to remember the movie that I saw just recently with with Cuter Than a Button in it. And someone correctly Jason pointed Bateman. out. Um, no. I know. You're thinking of Rachel McAdams, and I can't think of what she's in that that's out right now. recently but... said that it might have been an older film. Okay. But... Um, She's really good. Oh, yeah. Really good. Yeah. And someone recently pointed out that um, of all the performances in Game Night, all of which are very, very good, she really gives the performance of the film. And I think when a comedy comes out that actually is something instead of adults behaving <laughs> poorly, even though Game Night certainly fits into yeah. that rubric, yeah. um, we should give it some credit. So if you're one of the 10 people who haven't seen Game Night yet, because I'm guessing it's on streaming platforms and things I think now. it's showing up on cable a lot, too, maybe HBO. Uh, it's so good and so clever and doesn't insult your intelligence. And 
I I still think it's underrated. I still think we should be singing its praises. Yeah, the ensemble is really good. Um, I watched a movie just last night that almost made this list, but since it's been 12 hours since I finished it, I wasn't comfortable putting it on the list. But it reminded me a little bit of Game Night. It's a lot sloppier because Game Night, I will give it credit, it's rare that a comedy – I mean there's that sequence in the middle where they're stealing the thing mm-hmm. that it's that one long shot. And it's very show off But again, you appreciate a comedy that pays attention to filmmaking because so few of them <laughs> do. It's just point the camera. We got all these funny people. Right. They can't miss. <laughs> Turn on all of the lights, point the camera, and go. Um, uh, called The Oath, written and directed by Ike Barinholtz. It played for about a week. And it's about – it's a very sort of Trump America movie where the president is forcing everyone to sign this allegiance to America. And he and his wife, played by Tiffany Haddish, are holdouts. And the family comes together for Thanksgiving and they've all signed the oath. And it's sort of this argument about – and then it gets darker and weirder from there. Um very much worth seeing and reminded me a lot of Game Night in the way that it kind of walks between – comedy and some kind of darker violent stuff i am so impressed by the sheer number of projects tiffany haddish has done yeah. since she hit yeah good Look lord yeah cashing in Go um, for it. yeah game night is is good it's fun uh my first pick is a movie that i'm bumping down to my underrated list it was going to be on my top 10 i'm too afraid to rewatch it because I think I might hate it. <laughs> so it was a movie that I saw on the right day. Cast a spell. In the right frame of mind. And I was like, that really worked. Uh, and that is Assassination Nation. I remember you talking about it after you saw it. Which is very well made and very well intended in terms of trying to be about a lot of kind of the conversation that we're having now about Me Too. and um, um, But it's... It's it's snotty in a way, not as snotty as the trailer would have you believe. The trailer really makes it seem like I remember the Heather's cranked up to eleven, and the first five or ten minutes of the movie are like that. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I can stomach this. When I saw the trailer, I thought it was like Heather's with social media. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of that, um, but the filmmaking on display is very impressive. It has a lot of energy. It has a lot to say. I, I can't promise that all of it lands, and I understand why people might watch it and hate it. I didn't want to watch it again. Because, like I said, I might discover that I, it didn't work for me at all, so I'm not comfortable putting it on my top ten. But I do feel like it's a movie that's worth seeing, just the end credits alone. Um, and the other night, we had a choice of maybe four or five movies on the pay-per-view machine, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we chose incorrectly. Uh-oh. More on that later. Oh. But Assassination Nation okay. was one of the things. Well, if you do see it, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts, because I think it's – I mean, it. It. I think it was bought for a bunch of money at Sundance, like $10 million because it seemed so, you know, Sundance was last January and it's like, well, this is a movie of the time. This is the movie that's going to talk about this. And then it came out in September with like no advertising and played for a week or two and was gone. I think it was a week. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of being bought for a ton of money, I don't know where else in this podcast this is going to fit. And I haven't seen Holmes and Watson yet. So I read the other day that Sony... Had a test screening of Holmes and Watson and invited Netflix. Netflix, which will buy anything. Yes. And Netflix said, we're okay. Wow. That's amazing. And my wife discovered that film was originally called Homies. Wow. And they changed the title. Yeah. It's been around forever, I know. 
Oh, it's... Uh, it, it, not shot, but um, it's been in development for a long time. Because for a long time, Sasha Baron Cohen, I think, was going to play Holmes, and Will Ferrell was Watson. I might have that because wrong. Because of half of what I read in the reviews is true. Um, I kept wondering, uh, later today when we talked to Adam Risky, I thought maybe we'd flip a coin to see who would take <laughs> take the bullet for the team. But um, hold on, it's coming to me. Holmes and Watson... Holmes and Watson. In any case, um, it's supposed to be really bad. The other night, I'm sorry, long pause. Uh, <laughs> John C. Riley was on, uh, I believe, Colbert, and I thought, oh well, he's on this because I think Holmes and Watson was opening in two days. Never mentioned it. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. That's odd. That is odd. That's the reason yeah. you can see if you look at at a week of. All those talk shows, he's there for this, right, she's right, there for right, this. Right. He instead talked about Stan and Ollie, which I thought was interesting because mm-hmm. that hadn't opened yet, and that's what he chose to spend his time on. Um, my next underrated film, and again, I can't understand why this didn't get more attention because most of the people I know who saw it liked it a lot, and I've talked about it before on the podcast. It's Chappaquiddick, and it's smart, and it gets the facts right, and it presents it in an entertaining way and the performances are really really good i'm not the biggest ed helms fan Mm -hmm. but ed helms plays the um he's the david schwimmer in the people against oj simpson movie he's the true believer who the events of the of the narrative unfold and he starts to have doubts um it's rare that history is done in a way that doesn't leave you saying well that could have been on cable and it would have been pleasant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I keep calling things a History Channel movie or a Lifetime movie, but I don't think I was alone. Darkest Hour was not good. I mean, you can praise his performance or the work they did with prosthetics, but that movie was not good. And Chappaquiddick does those things right, and Darkest Hour got more attention. Yeah. I still haven't seen Chappaquiddick, and I know it came recommended by you, and I think Adam liked it too. Is it streaming somewhere? I feel like I don't it was know, streaming on Amazon, but once I see something, I tend to Which makes sense. I still have to pay attention to those things. Just We should coin a word for that that once you see it, you're blind to it <laughs> when you start right. uh searching for something on Netflix or Hulu or on demand. Or it is not str- it's not streaming, but you can rent it on Amazon for $2 in HD or buy it for 8. Speaking of renting things, I want to thank you because earlier in the year you told me iTunes was having a sale and I could download Paper House in HD for like five bucks. Yeah. And it wasn't released this year, but Paper House is one of my favorite horror films. And I'm used to a bootleg DVD that was made from the VHS. No, the bootleg DVD is made from the Laserdisc. Oh, boy. Because you can see where they had to flip it over. Oh, my gosh. Good Lord. And even the Laserdisc didn't look very good. The iTunes transfer of Paper House is beautiful. Nice. It's the best I've ever well, seen good. the film look. So thank you for that. Hey, my pleasure. Um, my next pick is another movie that I was too afraid to rewatch. <laughs> These movies weave a spell, and you're worried that the spell yeah. will be broken. Because, again, some of them are trying to do something, I think, kind of tricky. And in the cases of both Assassination Nation and this movie, I felt like it did it enough that 
it worked and I really liked what it was going for and felt like it accomplished it enough. If I were to watch it again, I might be like, oh, I, w- I misread that completely. It doesn't <laughs> at all achieve what it's trying to do. Um, it's a Western. There were a lot of good Westerns this year, surprisingly. Um, and it's called Damsel. Uh, written and directed by the Zellner brothers, David and Nathan Zellner. It stars Robert Pattinson, once again, doing all kinds of good, interesting work post-Twilight. And unrecognizable? Uh, no, I mean, he's recognizable, but um, it is him and Mia Wasikowska. Hmm. And, uh, I mean, I don't want to say too much, except that it takes place, obviously, in sort of the late 1800s. He is... You know, a suitor who falls in love with Mia Wasikowska and wants to rescue her from a situation. And at a certain point, the movie kind of flips everything and takes all of these Western tropes and says, yeah, but what if it's actually this? And Mm. what if? um, And so if you're a fan of Westerns, I thought it was really interesting the way that it brings up all these questions about yeah okay but what if she didn't want to be rescued um and what if the hero is actually maybe a piece of shit it makes me want to see it um because of my extreme antipathy towards robert pattinson um after his course correction which came after water for elephants i find i like him better where for the first half hour of the movie i don't know it's him and then it slowly dawns of oh Look at that. Water for Elephants seemed to be, and and Kristen Stewart maybe had one of these, I don't even know if she did, his attempt at like, okay, I'm going to continue my studio career. I'm going to make this big studio movie. Oh, that didn't work at all. And now he's just gone and done all these weird little indies. And that's exactly what Kristen Stewart has done. And they're always good. Uh, in them. I'm not saying the movies are always We've good. We've discussed this before. Water for Elephants is just so it's, massively misconceived. It really is. And it's a shame because according to my lovely wife, the book is something. Damsel is worth seeing, again, just for the photography. A Western is always going to be worth seeing. Uh, it is actually currently streaming on Hulu Ooh. for those of you who are interested. It played at the Chicago Critics Festival. That's how I saw it uh, this year. Clearly next year I need to attend more of those screenings. Uh, I'm getting cranky and not liking the drive to the music box. Understandable. Uh, My next underrated film may have made a ton of money, but I I still don't think sitting there on my porch, this still didn't get enough attention. I don't care who saw it. What we're talking about is so rare, and I thought it was interesting at one of our scary movie nights, uh, your son chose the first film, which is always family-friendly, and I'm talking about the year that you showed um, Goosebumps. Yes. And I was amazed at how much I enjoyed that film. And in the same uh, breath, um, House with a Clock in Its Walls is really good. And you had predicted, I think, when it came out, that after a couple months, it's just going to fade from your memory? Yes. But... The opposite has happened to me. Okay. It's gotten better in my memory. I still don't know if we need the CGI scene where they fight the pumpkins, but okay. That's that's the scene that got my daughter back. So I will forever be because she was ready to bail because something kind of scary happened right before that. And that was sort of funny and cool. And, and then the pumpkins came up and she filled. remembered it from the trailer yeah. and she was back in and then she was good for the rest of the movie. So We're going to call this material trailer bait. It's only in the film. <laughs> 
uh, to be in the trailer. But I think either last week or next week, I'm enjoying my holiday, so I don't think I have to pay attention to the release schedule. Um, it's coming out on 4K Blu-ray, okay. and I really want to buy it and watch it again. And I have a feeling it'll hold up, because I remember what, what Jan and I like so much was the interplay between Kate Blanchett and Jack Black mm-hmm. that they really nailed... These two have been friends for so long that they're incredibly mean to each other (laughs) in that way, in that needling way. Um, But I thought it nailed it. Even the narrative tropes of young adult literature where he has to go live in a new place and it's an adventure for the young boy. The whole thing is a metaphor for adolescence and such and such and such. And you enjoyed it. I did. And I I like it. It will always be special to me because it's the first movie Rosie and I ever saw alone together. And she really likes it and she wants to see it again really badly. And so every time we're on like the voodoo home screen and it shows up, rent her own. She's like, how's with the clock? And she just yells out the title. Well, I'll tell you, when I get the 4K... Um, she can watch it at my house. Yeah. And that will make her happy. I remember I was honestly surprised when I found out that she had seen it mm-hmm. because I had seen it and I thought, oh, we no. were seeing it at the same time. You and, guys and were in the theater in next door screens. in the IMAX, which I felt would be, be too, too loud. Yeah. And I was afraid of thriller. I really wanted to see thriller, but I was afraid of it freaking her out that size and that volume. I think Adam and I had a contest <laughs> Who this could year see thriller the most time in one week yeah. and a list helped because i told you this yeah i was going in the afternoon and using an a list and seeing thriller and then going home yeah um and actually now i realize i should have stayed for clock in the walls because i could have gotten some more clock in the walls <laughs> but i made a point um of telling your daughter how impressed i was that you saw that yeah, yeah. and it wasn't that was too scary. And then it wasn't too scary. Yeah. There was just the one moment where she was a little bit, I think it was maybe the first appearance of Kyle MacLachlan later in the film about I halfway. I was trying to give her mad props. Yeah. So. No, that's good. She would say, oh, she was social currency in sitting through these things. She lorded it over her brother a little bit, but <laughs> she had seen it and he hadn't. Um yeah, it's it's fun. It was just kind of scary enough, and yeah. uh, I would never have known it's Eli Roth uh, had I not seen his directing credit. I no, thought he, he did a really nice no, job of it. Did a, a really nice job of sort of tamping down his worst impulses. Uh, as many people have pointed out on the Twitter machine, um, the scariest thing in the movie is little CGI infant Jack Black, oh, which geez. you'll never yeah. get that out of your head. There's a great creepy moment. I feel like maybe I'm the only one who thought it was creepy. It was like the first appearance of the kid's mom. It's very warm, and then she starts to say something to him. I don't remember it exactly, and she's played by Eli Roth's ex-wife. Oh. Um, it turns just a little bit. It never yeah. gets overtly scary, but I remember being like, ooh, that's very well done. Because they're... They're tipping. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, and you did not see Goosebumps 2, right? No. That was the other movie that Rosie went to see with me because she was riding that high from House of the Clock. And it's, well, she wasn't too scared by Goosebumps 2. It's just not very good. I, I, I sat through Goosebumps 2 saying, oh, this is what Goosebumps could have been. Like, this is the bad version. Yeah, I of, remember you saying that. Yeah. And Goosebumps 1 was so good, yeah. it almost got me to see Goosebumps yeah. 2. Yeah, it's, it's a shame. 
the uh, trailer fodder in Goosebumps 2 is the gummy bears, I feel. Uh, yeah, that's a scene. <laughs> I want to... Uh, what, what, what child anywhere... I want to see a movie where gummy bears come to life. <laughs> the, uh, That's the movie for me. The good news about so many of these not great movies is just how quickly I'm able to forget them. Yes. We put them on the shelf with all of the – I mean, there's so much content now that yeah. it's it's somewhere. Yeah. Uh, my next pick is the only horror movie on my list, and that is The Strangers Pray at Night. I still have not seen the original Strangers. I know that this is blasphemy to horror fans. Every time I mention this fact, I'm inundated with, The Strangers is great. You should see The Strangers. The Strangers is one of my favorite horror movies. I know, everyone. I know. <laughs> I don't want to see it. I don't like home invasion movies. I, I, don't, I don't want it in my head. Um, I am avoiding it on purpose at this point. Um, but The Strangers Pray at Night while sort of a home invasion movie is much more, uh, I don't want to say lighthearted because it's a horror movie where people are being killed, but it's like more fun. If, if this kind of movie could be fun, it's much more of kind of an eighties throwback, kind of a, just a, a slasher movie. It's not sort of this grueling emotional experience where life has no purpose. And there's ways of leavening that. Yeah. Um, and it's very well directed. It's slight. I recognize, although it does have, I think, maybe the best horror scene of the year, which takes place in a swimming pool. Ooh. Um, I wrote an article for another website about the swimming pool scene and broke down, like, here's why it's so good. And I, probably over 100 comments last I checked, which was months ago, 90% of which were like, this movie sucks. You're stupid. Yes, oh, wow. that scene was good. So that's how I know it's underrated because I was like, well, no, the rest of the movie is pretty good too, guys. Um, but for the most part, this movie was widely disliked, even by horror fans. And I think it's pretty good. Maybe that one scene is overrated. It could be. It absolutely could be. I'm looking at my list. I have the weirdest, most mutated uh, definition of underrated. <laughs> Tully oh. comes out early in the year. That's on my list also. And it's got to be that early in the year syndrome where it's really good. Yeah. And by summer, it's sort of forgotten. I I can't believe it was released this year. I didn't realize it had been released this year until I started going through trying to find stuff that had been released this year. It was like March, February uh, or March. Erica and I watched it last night. That was the first time I'd seen oh. it. I missed it when it was out. Um, yeah, again, the release patterns for these things suck because you're seeing everything that you're supposed to love in the last four weeks of the year. And you haven't had time to live with any of these movies and you haven't had time to think back on them or remember how much you liked them. And you're seeing all the same kinds of movies in the same four week span. So it's not like, oh, I saw Rampage and something else shitty. And then Tully and Tully stands out as being special and adult because now you're watching Tully with all these other movies that are wanting to be special and adult. And um, Anyway. We went to Tully not knowing much about it. And um, we're very impressed. Did you like it? I liked it a real lot. Yeah. It's on my list as well. Um, it's, it's interesting because it made me think so many things. <laughs> it made me think... 
it made me wish that Jason Reitman had a better career. Now, I haven't seen, what's his other movie? The Gary Hart movie. Oh. That's him. He had two movies this year. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet. I haven't either. And that's not supposed to be very good. No. The front runner. Right. Um, And I know he has misstepped. I haven't seen Kate Winslet and Josh Brolin fuck on a pie. I haven't seen. Oh, I have. The No, the, the cobbler wasn't him. Um, but the computer, the internet is scary. That's him. That could have the the movie with Kate Winslet and Josh Brolin. Something day, Labor called, Day, could have been called The Cobbler because yes. it spent an inordinate amount of time on that. I had seen Labor Day after he had made some better films, right? And it seemed inexplicable that he had directed that. But he also it, made Men, Women, and Children, which is the internet is scary. Right. I'm, I'm thinking of earlier. Right. Oh, here's a new talent. And and this felt like that. Yeah. Um, in a lot of ways, this felt like Up in the Air and Juno to a certain extent. I'm such a fan of Up in the Air. Yeah. I think it does so many things so right. I think what Tully does best is, given what Tully ultimately is about, I give it so much credit for allowing us to reach some conclusions yeah. and telling a story that's very engaging and very entertaining and it's got a, a wonderful twist and but it it never gets didactic it never gets i'm going to beat you over the head not at all with the point that and i and i think a lot of movies i know uh, jake was home for christmas and suggested that we're quickly getting to the point where films will be solely judged on their intentions yeah yeah he pointed to the academy as oh, a sure, place where sure. where where and um it it didn't it didn't oversell it didn't i'm having a hard time coming up with a verb for this but it let the performances and the storytelling lead you to the place where mm-hmm. it wanted you to be and it it wasn't obnoxiously a polemic and Diablo Cody, you know, unfortunately made a reputation for herself as having a certain style of writing and I think has been dismissed because of a couple scripts she wrote t- over 10 years ago. Uh, scripts that won Oscars, by the way, but okay. Um, <laughs> I think this is free of all of that yeah. and, and very adult and very willing to look at things in a way that I don't think a lot of other screenwriters are. There were scenes that I found baffling but I allowed myself the patience to say, okay, but maybe the movie's actually going to be about something else. And by the end, I discovered that I was correct, that yes. the movie is not about what I thought it was about as it began. Um, and uh, it's it's one of two movies that hit me really, really hard this year for very personal reasons. Um, and if nothing else, you know – Erica and I were watching it and just appreciating how much it was willing to show about pregnancy and childbirth Yeah, that movies don't. And it's not about like, oh, we're going to take all the romance out of it. No, no, no. But it's but very it gets, it gets matter the, of fact. It gets the details yes. right. And, and that's difficult because there's, yes. there's movie pregnancy. Right. And then there's what this movie right. shows us. Um, yeah, really, really good. And I'm really glad you liked it. Once again, made me appreciate Charlize Theron because when you think about who she is and 
you know, she's widely considered to be, you know, one of the most beautiful actresses in Hollywood and and the career she could have. And yet I don't think she's ever the same in two say, movies. You look at you look at Tully on one hand and then uh, Mad Max on the other hand. Right. That's range, man. Yeah. Uh, this is much closer to Young Adult, which was their last collaboration, yes. the three of them, and and feels very much of a piece with that movie in a good way. And I'm that's a, a movie where we all really like that movie. Yeah. Um, really good and had one of my favorite uh, last shots of any movie this year. What was the other uh, gut punch movie for you this year? Star is Born. Oh. Yeah. Which we'll probably talk about next week. Um, probably. Well, since you brought up Tully, I'll throw in another one then since now I don't have to waste a pick on Tully. Um, and I will go with my favorite romantic comedy of the year. Which probably They're won't still making those? make my top ten. It is a little movie called Destination Wedding, starring Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder. Um, sold very much on like, hey, remember these two people you loved from the late '80s and '90s? Well, here they are in a movie together again, even though they'd really only acted together in Bram Stoker's Dracula, where they are maybe a lower point of the film. And you can argue in <laughs> Bram Stoker's Dracula. Okay, I'll, I'll I'll lay off. Right. Well, right. I mean. In Bram Stoker's Dracula, only one. Okay, I can't resist. In Bram Stoker's Dracula, only one of them is acting. Yes, uh, yes. Keanu, a little bit out of his depth in that movie. Um, I've come around on Keanu. Everybody has. The last ten. Everyone years, has. America has. At a holiday celebration, I was talking to some cousins, and we were going on and on about how much we love John Wick. Well, of course. And just the praise is pouring out of. These relations of mine. Not only does he make cool movies, not only is he good in these movies, but also every story you hear about him is like he's the actual best person alive. <laughs> like to, to know him in life, to work with him on a set, the way that he treats the entire crew. Um, dig in a little bit and read some stories about him because it'll blow your mind. Anyway, uh, Destination Wedding presents him as this curmudgeonly businessman who's going to his brother's wedding. Winona Ryder is also going to the wedding. She is the brother's ex-girlfriend, and they are sort of thrust together as the two single people. And it's very stylized. It's told in sort of this series of, like, I don't know, ten long, like, tableau scenes. The dialogue is very stylized. I recognize not everybody's going to love it. Um, I was so won over by it. Like, I think... I think it's it's funny in its sort of misanthropy, but I also think it comes by its romance and or eventual sweetness very, very honestly. And there's this amazing scene with the two of them where they're just sort of complimenting each other in this very objective way. It's fascinating. Um, I, I just, you know, I liked it. I like the two of them. I like to see them play off of one another. They have really good chemistry. But I also think the movie really, really works at what it wants to be. I still remember your review on the site and am kicking myself for not seeing it yet. It is uh, streaming on Amazon Prime if you are interested. Because Amazon, that's an Amazon Studios I'm not positive it is, but it might be. Maybe they picked it up. Yeah. It, it showed up. Shockingly fast on Amazon Prime. It was like three weeks after it had come out. Uh, two quick ones. It didn't get enough love, and I believe I've talked about both of them on the podcast. Equalizer 2 and Overboard <laughs> are more entertaining than they have any right to be. I haven't seen Overboard. I you, saw Equalizer 2. You two. sit down 
at Equalizer two and you're expecting something, and I would I would suggest that I got more than I paid for. Did you like Equalizer two? I think it's a step up from the Equalizer, but I don't think but it's a giant not, step. Not a giant step. Um, it was nice to not have a climax in a Home Depot. <laughs> Maybe it was just the mood I was in. Yeah. I was like, oh, they're actually going to make some statements about maybe that we need mentors. Or I gave it credit for that. I have been in that place. I still remember going to see SWAT because it was summer and it was out. And I came out of SWAT and I was like, well, that's exactly what I needed. So I get being in the right frame of mind. And Overboard is a is a commercial calculation of some sort. And yet, it didn't insult your intelligence, and actually said a couple things that I agree with about uh, what's the word I'm looking for? That there is is pride to be gotten with hard work, and and it was All right. sweet. All right, I'll take it. And maybe things are turning, but lately, if something is sweet, I give it a lot of credit because I, there is very little sweetness lately. We were just last night discussing. Paddington 2 and how Paddington 2 is ending up on so many top 10 lists and we watched it and it's charming and it's delightful and it's very well made and so I get people loving it I genuinely do I'm not saying it's overrated or that anybody's wrong for liking it but I do think a big piece of that has to do with all of us starving for niceness and goodness and decency and here is a movie that is all of those things but like you I finally sat down to watch it because yeah. there was just this yeah, yeah, yeah. this storm of oh my cuz when did that come out like january? january yep bad timing yeah and a lot of people who i love and trust were talking about how great it was and that was my reaction my wife's reaction that just what that film is suggesting about the way that one wants to live one's life was so refreshing. Yes. But I think it does a couple other things well as sure. well. I don't again, I don't think it's just intentions. No, I agree. I agree. But you're 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 completely right that the sweetness is really at the heart of that message. Um the whole thing in prison. Oh, it's so good. All the prison stuff was my favorite stuff. Was very entertaining. And the fact, just the stylization of it and the and pink also uniforms and some of the specific actors. Oh yeah. Oh, I don't think this is a spoiler. Uh Paddington is put in charge of the prison laundry and you don't want to wash a red sock with those black and white prison uniforms. And I love the fact that the movie uh what's the what's the term? Oh, uh commits to the bit. Yeah. That once he turns all the uniforms pink, they're, they're pink, pink for the yep. rest of the movie. And it's the, even the right choice aesthetically just because it looks better in this world. And when, when's the last time you saw a movie where the costuming right. got to be part of the joke? Yeah. That it wasn't this separate thing that we... Paddington 2 is a movie with so much good stuff that there's a fucking musical number that they just had left over that they put during the closing credits where it's like oh yeah we also have this by the way as you walk out of the theater and it is amazing yeah <laughs> it's so good. did you watch it with your kids um they had seen it okay yeah so they were kind of in and out did it they was, like it yeah but i think because in terms of uh, your kids ages yeah they might think it's it's for babies i think erica and i were more into it than they were but again, they had seen it and we had not. So, and 
you mentioned the sweetness. There's stuff in the film about like being afraid of immigrants. So it's not as right, if we're right, in right. Pollyanna land. <laughs> right. They're they're bringing up in an entertaining way some social issues. But no, I I agree completely. Is that it for your underrated? Um, I have one more. Yes. Okay. My last one is a movie that I think I brought up on the podcast maybe a week or two ago, and I literally just bring it up because I knew nothing about it. I didn't even know it existed until it popped up on a top ten list, and it had Laura Dern. And I thought, how is there a Laura Dern movie that came out this year that I know nothing about? Well, it's because it played a couple festivals and was bought by HBO. I just read something about this. Yeah, it's called The Tale, and it stars Laura Dern as a filmmaker it's based on the actual woman who made the film a woman named jennifer fox uh and it's sort of about her coming to terms with the fact that she was in um an abusive a sexual she was sexually abused as a kid um by a couple basically um and it is laura dern gives maybe the performance of the year which is you know she's not going to get nominated for anything of course because it went to hbo um, and it's one of the best representations I think I've ever seen of sort of how we cope with trauma and how the past can catch up with us. The way that Laura Dern plays sort of the gradual unraveling as she sort of pieces together more and more. It does all this cool filmmaking stuff in terms of how memory works and how we tell ourselves certain stories. Uh, it represents different things visually. It's really, really pretty incredibly done and features an amazing performance. You can watch it on HBO, you know, go into HBO go and search for it. That's how we saw it. I just read something about it this week. Just bull goose loony about this movie, and he's calling up the trailer, and he's he has it on his <laughs> phone, and he's shoving it in everyone's face. And I was like, "Well, that sounds interesting." And then I actually went to see the film, and I said, "What the fuck? This defines big empty experience." And thankfully, I think it's already starting to fade into the zeitgeist. We all shake our heads. Did we see that? Was that Ready Player One? Oh, that's on my list too. It just defines big I, I, and empty. I would argue it's actively bad. Um, See, because this, <laughs> this this is a genius marketing strategy. And it would have been even more so if they had kept the Blade Runner thing instead of changing it to The Shining. The minute King Kong shows up, I'm on board. Sure. I, didn't we see it together? No. I didn't see it. I saw it at home. I didn't see it theatrically. Okay. I'm just, or maybe right after I saw it, we talked about it. Um it is busy and oh, yeah. complicated yeah. and big and loud, although I really liked a week or two after I saw it, someone on the internet pointed out that it's it's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, that that's the structure. Sure. Um, well, I'm glad to hear you say this because I'm trying to be nice, but it's actively bad. I think it is. For me, it is. I think if we were to break down Aggressively some of, bad. Yeah. I mean, I, I was unengaged with all of the... Um, activity in the movie i wasn't crazy about you know the visual effects or the stylization and again so much of this has to do with i am not a gamer i don't play video games so i recognize that people who do speak that language more fluently and may have responded to things that i didn't respond to so i i acknowledge my biases there but i think if we were to break down what that movie is saying it's pretty fucked up 
uh, and it just comes out and says some of it <laughs> in the in the closing minutes and tries to reverse itself in like the last three lines of dialogue i don't remember exactly what it is but it's literally like a, oh yeah and by the way uh be nice or i don't remember what the <laughs> hell it is but it's like kind of embarrassing yeah it, it's a it's a bummer and it's so special effects heavy it it reminds me of this movie that's coming out alita battle angel oh, and i keep being oh, subjected boy. to the trailer and robert boy. rodriguez has helmed that one. Oh yeah and in both cases it's like um Steven Spielberg is not the director of Ready Player One. He's the referee. Right. Or because the live action is so diminished, both Spielberg and Robert Rodriguez are actually making an animated film. Mm -hmm. And and that's more of a supervisory capacity than actual direction. I haven't read the book. Nor have I. So I can't say whether it was an accurate representation of that, but it was just... Big and loud and empty. Yeah. Um, so that was on my list. I also have a movie that I saw and was like, oh, yeah, I didn't like that at all and thought I would not be alone. And now it's popping up on a lot of top ten lists. And uh, the two of the performances are getting lots of awards consideration. And that is Can You Ever Forgive Me? Starring Melissa McCarthy and Richard Grant. And I, too, am amazed at the top ten lists because – I literally haven't seen it yet because you were yeah. saying, old man, you don't have that much time left on Earth. You might want to spend it with better films. Maybe I was in a bad mood. Um, I just I can't quite wrap my head around. It's not that Melissa McCarthy is bad. I just felt like she was giving a performance as an unlikable person that I've seen her give. Richard Grant, I recognize, is very good in a part that is designed to win Oscars. He's like a wig and some lipstick away from Jared Leto (laughs) in the Dallas Buyers Club. And that's fine. Like, it's great to see Richard Grant in a movie again and and giving a good performance and being considered for Oscars. And that's fine. I'm happy with all that. But the movie itself, I just felt like um, I, uh, I didn't. I just didn't. I don't get it. I don't get it. (sighs) This actually makes me want to go see it, but. Sure. I'll have plenty of opportunities for that. I'm on the A-list. Uh, my next overrated film, and this shouldn't surprise me because I run hot and cold on this filmmaker, um, is First Man, which yeah. when I first saw it, I compared it to a very, um, a very scary ride at an amusement park. And because so much of the actual flight footage is first-person POV, this is what it was like to be in the capsule, I felt like I was being forced on to the nation's scariest roller coasters (laughs) against my will. But I have since um, defined why I don't like the film. And this runs completely counter to our very own Rob DiCristino, Mm. who wrote a very interesting article about First Man. Yeah where he talked about what he liked about the film, and I'm afraid the same thing is what I don't like about it. What the astronauts did was extraordinary. And I'm afraid, and I'm I'm guessing Chazelle has gotten to the point where he's able to do his artistic vision without too many artistic, you know, you make um, La La Land and then they let you make First Man. Mm-hmm. But I wish the film would explore the extraordinary nature of what they did without um, resorting to 
well, he's he's involved in this to assuage his grief and that it's almost as if the filmmakers are cynically saying, well, only a handful of people have been to the moon. But I tell you what, we've all felt grief and we've all loved someone. Mm -hmm. And so that's what they're going to focus on. And I'm sorry, I have no interest in seeing that if it's ostensibly a film about going to the moon. And what really cemented these feelings is there's something that happens at the end of the film that you might find very moving that, based on all the evidence, never happened. Yeah, that's... And I understand it's not a documentary. I understand that it's your artistic take. That's kind of a big one, though. Yeah. I think that's kind of a big one. You're talking about the... Yes. Okay. Especially when, and I only know about this because my lovely wife wrote a poem about it, uh, Michael Collins... Uh, boy, I'm at a loss for words today. I apologize to our listeners. He smuggled a golf club onto the flight. And we have the radio transmission right, right. where he says, Houston, you may not know this, but I have a nine <laughs> iron or whatever it was. And he he shot a golf ball on the moon. Mm -hmm. Why isn't that in the movie? Because it's not about Neil Armstrong? I find that fascinating. And the reason I find it fascinating is... In my wife's poem, the golf ball sits up there for decades and becomes sentient. <laughs> and to the golf ball, Michael Collins is God. Oh, my God. She's such a good writer. I know this <laughs> has very little to do with First Man. No, but that's, but that's amazing. After La La Land, I was really expecting more. I, I respect how touching... Rob found the last image. Yeah, yeah. I I actually really liked the last image, but I had a, a real big problem with First Man. And I thought and it was, apparently no one went. Yeah, it didn't do amazing business. Um, it, 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 I mean, as a procedural, it's kind of interesting. Now, to be fair, again, I watched it as a screener at home. I know that if you went to see it theatrically, especially in IMAX, once they is it once they land on the moon that it opens up to the full yeah. IMAX? I mean, I'm sure that's cool. And and it was the IMAX that that gave me the feeling I was talking about where right. I'm on this ride right. that I really don't want to be in. Well, and I kind of avoided it based on the trailers because the trailers were so kind of first person and shaky and like, you're in a rocket ship and you're going to throw up. And I thought, I don't know if I can handle that, especially in IMAX. Um, I respected the filmmaking. I mean, I, it, I it's not a movie I disliked. It just left me cold. Um I, I will say that I took, I think, more away from it in terms of sort of documenting like no one had done this. Right. No one knew if this was going to work and this was very dangerous and very brave what they were doing. And just how primitive some of the technology yeah. was as in the trailer moment. Who's got a Swiss Army knife? Right. I mean, it's it's kind of amazing. And I will say that, unfortunately, and this will come up with another movie maybe next on my list, um, I spent so much of the movie wishing I was watching another movie that I already know that I really like, and that was the right stuff. Most <laughs> of the time I was watching First Man, I was like, oh, yeah, but the right stuff <laughs> kind of says this in a more interesting way. Um, which agree is, 100%. Yeah, well, you know, which isn't necessarily uh, fair. But, um, yeah, I kind of was just a little bit indifferent towards it, and which is not how I want to feel about a movie like this. No. Yeah. Um, so speaking of uh, – my next pick is 
is totally unfair because it's a movie I think I like, but I don't like as much as maybe I'm hearing a lot of people like. It's The Favorite. Oh. I like – did you see The Favorite? Yes. Did you like The Favorite? Very much. Okay. I liked The Favorite, but I'm not like, oh my god, The Favorite. Uh I like the look of it. I thought the performances were very good. I thought there was some interesting stuff going on. It didn't quite all connect with me. And again, I spent the majority of the movie feeling like I would really like to watch Barry Lyndon again. The other night I was watching Murder on the Orient Express again, as one does, (laughs) and not falling asleep, as some people do during Murder on the Orient Express. And um, I completely forgot Olivia Coleman is in... Murder on the Orient Express. Okay. She's the Duchess's. She's Dame Judy Dench's little servant. I maid. sort of remember. Um, here's my theory on the favorite. I may be wrong, but I don't think I am. <laughs> David Lynch was a filmmaker who made very specific odd films, and then he made a film where the oddness was in the service of a mystery. So suddenly, it's not. Why are those tiny chickens bleeding? It was those tiny chickens are a clue to solve a crime. Sure. And that was Blue Velvet. And he later ponied that in even greater success in Twin Peaks. The filmmaker behind The Favorite, I will not attempt to pronounce his name. Yorgos Lathamos. Thank you. Um, makes terrific films that aren't like anyone else's films. And I'm here pointing to The Lobster, which I really, really love. I think The Lobster is something. And I give him so much credit for realizing that all the stuff he's doing in The Lobster will play a lot better if it has the patina of masterpiece theater. Sure. And then he upends that because surely you noticed all of those... um, fisheye yes yeah and even to people who are like oh it was delightfully wry and historically accurate well it's not historically accurate at all as it turns out um the events in the film played out but in real life over a much bigger time span and my favorite scene in the film where rachel weiss dances Mm -hmm. that's (laughs) that's that moment where the film goes off the rails and you're like do more of that right that's not period dancing. <laughs> no. I don't know what that is, but I love it that it certainly proved to be true because that film is getting a lot of attention and a lot of nominations yeah. and people love it. It's beautiful. It did not leave me cold. Um, I really liked it. I was sort of um, slapping myself for not realizing ultimately what it was about earlier it sort of it sort of took me in that there is a character who is really i don't want to spoil it <laughs> his i we st- learn we our feelings about all three characters change as the sure. film goes on sure. and i think i should have seen some of those from farther away okay. i still haven't seen dogtooth and i know i need to um but the lobster and uh, the killing, killing of a sacred deer, deer and this one I feel like this is the closest I've come to just fully embracing one of his movies. But The Lobster has a bunch of stuff in it I really like and then a bunch of stuff that I'm kind of like, eh. And same with Killing of a Sacred Deer. I mean, 
it builds to something that I think is kind of amazing. I but, don't like it as much as the lobster, but yeah. again, I'll I'll die on that hill. I love the lobster. I and I love lobster. I haven't uh, fully loved any of his movies, but I will go see every movie he makes because I recognize he's doing something different. Well, is part of it that he's very definitely keeping you at a remove, even in the favorite. I felt less so in the favorite. But it started to irritate me in Killing of a Sacred Deer. After The Lobster, I was like, okay, I get it. Everyone is unaffected and uh, flat. Got it. Okay. Uh, And he's not doing that as much in this movie. But I liked it. I just wish I could unlock the thing that would make me love it as I see so many people around me doing. I think to me part of the key was um, as Olivia Coleman's character talks more. And you find out her backstory. It really, I don't think it excuses the way she acts or her behavior, but it certainly explains yeah. why she's like that. I mean, and that's true. I mean, she lost something like seventeen kids, Eesh. maybe eleven, be- somewhere between eleven and seventeen. Oh my god, that would yeah, that would mess you up. Yeah. Uh, my next overrated film, boy, talk about awards fodder, and I went to see it. And I wanted to like it, and I tried to like it, and I liked it a little bit. And then in the intervening <laughs> weeks, the more I thought about it, the more I thought I'd been hoodwinked. Green Book. Oh, I still haven't seen Green Book. And I'm like, it's so much better than Driving Miss Daisy, which clearly <laughs> was brought up in the pitch meeting yeah. because it's Driving Miss Daisy, but it's the other way around. It's <laughs> the opposite. And I'm such a fan of Vigo. And to say his performance is broad, it's and it's based on a real story. The two men became friends, and it was written by the guy's, the Vigo character's son. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, um, here's my problem, and I don't think this is spoilers. At the beginning of the film, the filmmakers have the Vigo character do something, which I applaud, uh, show, don't tell. And he does something that reveals his character. And if that's the case, in terms of what the film shows us that he does, this man is not won over by beautiful piano playing. Got it. So... A half an hour in, it becomes a fairy tale, right, right. and it has good intentions, right. and good Lord, is it getting nominations, but... <sighs> well, and it, I think there have been a handful of movies. We just watched Blind Spotting the other night. There's Black Klansmen. There's some of Sorry to Bother You. I mean, there are movies this year that are really willing to look at race or talk about race. But in terms of an honest look at race... Um, both Sorry to Bother You and Black Klansmen are way... Which is why I bring it up, yeah, that it's Green hard Book to see... positively regressive. It's hard to see the TV movie version of it and be too impressed by it when you have other movies that are willing to talk about it in a slightly more honest way. But the 50 and 60-year-olds that I saw Green Book well, with... Well, of course, right. ...that it was very sweet that That's the two men became right. friends. And, and he why? learned to not be racist. Um, I didn't realize until recently that it's directed by a Farrelly. Not the brothers, but one of the Farrelly's. Yeah. Like when one of the Zuckers went and made Ghost. And and it's well-intentioned. Sure. And it it is fairly entertaining. I'm sure. not going to say yeah, I yeah, wasn't yeah. entertained yeah. by it, but... It, 
I'll summarize it this way. There's a scene where the white man shows the black man how to eat fried chicken. Mm. I'm not making this up. Wow. Wow. And I had forgotten that, even though it's in the trailer. That would be racist, even if it wasn't racist. Okay. Thank you for saying that, because (laughs) I just realized that perfectly encapsulates my feelings about the film. And again, I'm Italian by nurture, if not by nature. I recently took a DNA test, and uh, my life is a lie. I'm Italian because I like the food. And I was a little offended by Vigo's portrayal. In fact, the entire portrayal of his neighborhood and his friends. Come on. Come on. It's 2018. Come on. Uh, My last pick is probably, again, not an overrated movie, and I wouldn't even mention it if it weren't for the Golden Globes, which is pointless because I've already acknowledged, like, I put zero stock in the Oscars. The Golden Globes mean even less. Green Book, Golden Globes. Right. There you go. Um, But it is Vice, uh, the new Adam McKay movie about Vice President Dick Cheney, which... Uh, you know, Christian Bale looks and sounds a great deal like Dick Cheney. I can't call it a performance. I'll call it an impressive imitation. Um, when our standard is an audio atom electronic figure of Dick Cheney. Amy Adams continues to be good in an embarrassing role that Hollywood just keeps handing to women, which is you're the wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this one, you're the sort of Svengali like wife. I mean, it's her and the master, except the master is good. And this isn't um, a lot of people in prosthetics. You know, I agree with Adam McKay's politics, but I don't think he has any sense of how to communicate that in a movie i once referred to it i think to you this is my favorite movie quote of the year and i can't tell you i've always given you credit i can't tell you how many people i've repeated it to did i call it stupid oliver stone that adam mckay has become stupid (laughs) oliver stone because the problem is uh, adam mckay came up with some very clever ways of explaining very complicated things in the big short which was maybe the only thing I liked about that movie. And in Vice, he tries to do some of the same things, but there's a problem because this isn't the same type of movie. No. So what we get is a lifetime biopic of right. Dick Cheney. And then this, and, and then not this, a, and then Not this. a particularly good one. Nope. Occasionally enlivened, but I don't think it's enlivened. By these jarring textural things, like uh, Alfred Molina showing up as a as an obsequious waiter, right? Um, showing them all these illegal things they can do on a right. menu, right? And and that pulls us out of the film. Um, halfway through the film, it ends. That's the best moment in the movie. Yes, because it's a joke that uses filmmaking yes. to make a point. But again, you sort of. The, the film comes across as neither fish nor fowl. Mm-hmm. It's not a serviceable lifetime biopic, and it's not this crazy quilt right. of shit about Cheney. Right. Right. Every once in a while, it becomes that. Here's a shot of some dice. And, it's and like, I liked wait, no, it no. more than you. Did you? Okay. But if any of our listeners want to see true hatred toward Vice, go to Slate. Oh, yeah? Where there's two articles, one of which that I recommend is about the post-credit sequence. 
and how I much... I think I saw the post-credit sequence. Oh, yeah. Okay. After the credits, we go back to the focus group. Okay. We've seen earlier yeah, in the yeah, film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But after the credits, the They're focus talking about the movie Vice? Talking <gasps> about the movie we just saw. Look, I didn't even have to see it to know what bullshit it played. And two men get into a fist fight, and then the camera pulls back, and this vocal fry detached girl on her cell phone turns to her friend and says, I heard the new Fast and Furious movie is lit. And according to the Slate uh, critic, that's what Adam McKay thinks of you. Right. Oh, that's, yeah, for sure. That he has nothing but contempt for you. 100%. Which is why he thinks he has to engage in all this gesturing right. to get us to keep paying attention. And I would argue that the movie, and you know, I mean, I'm fairly informed. I'm not the most informed, but I didn't feel like Vice told me anything I didn't already know. And I like the film more than you. Still don't think it's a good film. I think it went too easy on him. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. Because all of that falderol mm-hmm. tends to diminish that like Nixon, I think he stole part of the American spirit that we have yet to get back. Yeah, oh, for sure. And uh, I mean, now we're just reviewing Dick Cheney, but like, and in service of what? Because I watched that Roger Ailes documentary, and it's not great, but it does make a point of saying Roger Ailes, for as evil as he was and as shitty as he was, he did believe a lot of the shit he was having Fox News. He He believed sort of the... The worldview that Fox News espouses. But he especially liked the fact that once he rose to that position of power, he can force beautiful women to fuck him because Roger Ailes... That goes all the way back, by the way. Because Roger Ailes looked like Jabba the Hutt. Oh, yeah. I'm not a woman, but he was an unappetizing man. That goes all the way back. You'd be surprised how early that shit started. Um, Vice didn't give me any sense of Dick Cheney's worldview why he did the things he did. No, in fact, in... He doesn't believe in anything. In a moment that the Slate critic really takes the film to task for, uh, when he asks Rumsfeld, what do we believe? Yeah. And Rumsfeld begins to laugh, goes into another room, and continues to laugh. That's a problem, and yeah. it's it's way too simplistic. Yeah. Anyway, that was my last pick. And I don't mean to get anyone angry. Oh, boy. But I have to add, Here my, goes. my last overrated film is Halloween. Yeah, okay. It was good. Yeah. It was very good. Yeah. If the entire thing had focused on the Jamie Lee story, I would have liked it more because I think Jamie Lee is really good in the film. Yeah. But I don't understand why so many horror fans were just genuine. Oh, oh, oh. I mean, there was a tumult about this film. Yes. And it certainly made a shit ton of money. Yes. And it's good. Yeah. There's all kinds of reasons. But I don't think it's great by any means. I don't either. I don't either. It was exciting to have a new Halloween movie. Uh, It was exciting to have Blumhouse involved. Ryan Turek is you know, one of us and is now producing the new Halloween movie and it's making all kinds of money. And I'm glad I went. Jamie Lee Curtis is back. And, you know, there's all kinds of reasons why we're like, oh, thank goodness they made a good one. You know, that's a big part of it. And that's that was my feeling. It's a good Halloween sequel. Like, that's about as far as it goes. Before we turn to ugly, just one more thing. I, I said this to Adam at one point and I think I nailed it. Bohemian Rhapsody 
is something to watch while you listen to music that's very entertaining. Okay. It's like a slideshow. Right, right, right. And, and you're, oh, that's another one of their songs. And that's another one of their Well, that was the trailer. Songs. I felt like I didn't need to see them. The trailer has all of their songs sort of as one big Jive Bunny mega mix. Yes. And I was like, I'm good. <laughs> and that's, oh, yeah, Queen had a lot of good songs. And uh, let's go home. The, obviously, the climax of the film is the Live Aid concert, but someone released the Live Aid concert on YouTube with the audio. Uh, with with audio that had been improved. Okay. Oh wait, I I'm sorry to make this even clearer that <laughs> it's a slideshow. The movie uses the audio from Live Aid because remember it. it's always Freddie Mercury actually singing. Right. So you get this pantomime puppet show of them recreating, and there's another video on YouTube of a like split, a side by side split screen where it's like, holy shit, they spent some time on this. But to what end? Exactly. Right. And I like their music. I think it's a lot of fun. And I think at the time it was like, oh, it's bombastic, but it's so much fun that I wish there was a better movie about this band mm-hmm. because I think there is a better movie to be had with the real story, but we'll never get it because we have this slideshow. got show. this one. Uh, which brings us to the section we call The Ugly. Um, this, uh, like I said, unfortunately, I had the easiest time making this list. And part of that is underrated was a little more challenging a, because I'm like, well, but do people like this movie? And I don't want to include movies that I know are going to be on my top 10. I even tried to avoid movies. I thought might be on somebody else's top 10. Um, overrated, much trickier because again, you're just asking yourself about your own reaction versus sort of what you perceive to be the public reaction. Ugly. I'm just like, Oh no, I straight up did not like, uh, Venom. Which I did not see. You are fine. It is. This is. I said this maybe a week or two ago when I talked about it. Like this is the one we should put in the time capsule when we want to say like here's a lot of what's wrong with current blockbuster filmmaking. I won't say superhero movies because a lot of the superhero movies are good. Sure. But in terms of big blockbuster filmmaking, this is so much of what's wrong with it. And Venom was the. Um, I don't want to say victim. Um, Venom benefited from something this year that I will call the backlash backlash. Yeah. Venom comes out. Aquaman comes out. They're big and loud and stupid. And then about a week later, people start talking about how much fun they were and start trying to spin their deficiencies into some sort of stupid good time now i've seen neither of them i haven't seen aquaman so i can't speak to it but i saw that phenomenon happen where i don't know if this is well-intentioned individuals or is this some sort of studio strategy it's big it's dumb that's good but it's happening to both of those movies i saw one top 10 list on a on a well-respected film site that included Venom and another movie on my list as a tie for the 10th spot on the 10 best of the and year. And I saw that list too. And I, I mean, it, they seem to be on there ironically. And they, and they were making a point. And if you want to enjoy Venom ironically, I guess more power to you. But it was a movie from which I could derive zero joy. And uh, a, a, a movie very similar to Venom came out a few months prior to Venom made for maybe one one hundredth of the budget uh lee wanell's latest movie upgrade Hmm. and upgrade is really fun and deserves to be seen by everyone and venom was expensive and shitty 
and should not be watched. I only wanted to see Venom for Tom Hardy because I'm a fan of Tom Hardy. You may enjoy it. He is certainly keeping himself entertained. I saw the trailer and I said, I'm good. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, there's a film coming out called A Dog's Journey. Uh, okay. Yeah, I think I saw it's, a trailer for it's this sort of once. the spiritual sequel to A Dog's Purpose. Right. And This is one where, where the dog has to travel cross country. Yes. Not A Dog's Purpose where the dog dies seven times and is reincarnated. Oh, my God. Is that a dog's purpose? No, I'm also thinking, I, I might be thinking of Marley, but I okay. don't know. Yeah. They're, it's a subgenre called dog movie. <laughs> and Jan and I have been subjected to this trailer so many times and mentioned this trailer to Jan because she'll get on her uh, soapbox. The trailer's the whole movie. Yeah. I mean, yeah. literally, the yeah. whole movie. And not just the whole movie, but the whole stupid movie. At one point... <laughs> Someone on screen turns to another character and says, that dog saved that man's life. I mean, and not just the ending and the setup, but from what I can see, I pretty much know how much will fit in a 90-minute film. It's inexplicable. Yeah. Um, Death Wish oh. was not good. No. Um, in any way. Um, no. Although, I don't think this is original to me. If they had cast Vincent D'Onofrio in the mm -hmm, lead, mm -hmm. it might have been more interesting and make Bruce Willis the, the certainly better the brother-in-law because one of them was engaged and one of them wasn't. And I'm sorry, most of you have probably read oceans of material on the internet about our friend Bruce Willis. You said Venom should be put in a time capsule as an example of this. It's just I don't give a shit no, anymore. Performance, no, not at all. And it's a real shame. And and again, that so that was Eli Roth's other movie this year. And uh, talk about rain, right? I mean, I you know, I don't think he's the wrong director for that because I think if he leaned into that, got me excited about seeing it because it was like right. I want to see what Eli Roth would do. But with it that just wish. felt so neutered. It didn't feel like him at all. It, no. it was a movie with no personality. Not just. You know, he's made some movies that I, you know, I don't like Green Inferno. It has his bad personality. This didn't even have his bad personality. It just had no personality. And a Death Wish remake in 2018 was crying out for bad Eli Roth. Yes. And by um, that, I mean his bad personality. And again, lamented, it made me lament the version we didn't get that Joe Carnahan was working on for so long because that would have been something. You know, you reteam him with, let's say, Liam Neeson. I mean, we've seen that movie 20 yeah. times. <laughs> Liam Neeson just keeps making that movie, but that would have been something. Um, 10 years ago or so, James Wan made a movie with Kevin Bacon called Death Sentence that nobody saw at the time. Certainly not me. Okay. It's the Death Wish movie that you have been missing. Um, I'm making a list here of all these movies. I it's it's pretty incredible. It's real dark, and it is the Death Wish remake that we didn't need because we have Death Sentence. He made it. He did like Saw, and then the one with the puppets. Uh, Fucking oh my god! I can't think of the name of it right now. I'm you know so the upset. James Wan film with the puppets. Dead Silence. The ventriloquist, okay, oh, and they okay. was like, well, that wasn't Saw, and then he made Death Sentence, and people were like, that definitely wasn't Saw, we're not going to see that. Um, but <laughs> it's, only want to see if Saw. you want a good Death Wish remake, see Death Sentence, because there's a scene in a parking garage that is worth the price of admission alone. By the price of admission, I mean you borrowing the DVD from me. Um, my next pick is Rampage, 
The more I hear people talk about how fun Rampage is, the more my fucking ears bleed. I That movie made me miserable. And again, I'm the audience for that movie. Oh, giant monsters smashing things? Sign me up. And I not only love giant monsters, but my son used yes, to play the I video game. I used to game, play the video game. And your son would play the yes. video game at my house on my son's old system. And how could that immensely fun video game concept become that sodden Mighty Joe Young remake? And again, just talk about a movie that is so ill-conceived where you can just imagine the people sitting around in a room. Well, how do we make... How do we make it into a star vehicle for The Rock? Well, how do we explain this? And how do we get to this? It's like, no, no, no. Just three giant monsters show up and they're smashing things. That's all you have to do. It's very simple. And I would argue that right under Bruce Willis for I Don't Give a Shit Anymore, we can take The Rock's performance in Rampage and The Rock's performance in another film on my list. Which I didn't see Skyscraper. And what? See, with The Rock, I never feel like he doesn't give a shit. I just feel like he has no quality control or terrible taste or this belief that people will come because he's there. But that's what I mean. Even, okay. if, even if the performance is more engaged, you you don't give a shit about what you're choosing. Sure. Okay. Yeah, that makes or, sense. Right. I mean, good Lord. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You were in two of the worst <laughs> films of this year. Yeah. Were you in... Are those the only two films he released uh, this year? Because he makes them. Yeah, he had he, two he, or three last year. I can't remember. Last year he had Baywatch. That was my least favorite movie of last year. So good job, The Rock. Oh, my God. And yet, you know, uh, it's a testament to his, I guess, star quality that I'll still go see something that The Rock is in, even though he continually makes some of my least favorite movies of the year. Uh, yeah, I keep hearing Rampage brought up as like, it was just goofy fun, and I cannot get on board for this. I cannot. I would suggest that the people who are saying that are neither goofy nor fun. <laughs> I cannot. What's the Tommy Lee Jones quote? I cannot. Oh, fuck. Sanction your buffoonery. <laughs> is that what it is to Jim Carrey on uh, Batman Forever? I cannot sanction your buffoonery. I was talking to uh, one of my relatives at Christmas and the the phrase that they have. No, it wasn't a relative. It was at Margaret's cookie party that someone had watched that two-part Facebook documentary on Frontline and really sort of took it to heart in terms of what his job was and the phrase that he seized upon was unable or unwilling. Yeah. The film is unable or unwilling to be a good film, right. to be goofy right. fun, to right. be whatever. Um, skyscraper, your next pick, or do you have another one? I'll make Skyscraper my next No, go, go for it. Give me something else. Um, we've discussed Gotti. Yeah, and, that's on my list. <laughs> so, so you finally saw it. Yeah, of course. Okay. I had to. And if you want to ironically celebrate and do this to get me angry, but it's really bad. I will say, in the defense of our dear friend, Adam Risky, I do not think there's anything ironic about his enjoyment of Gotti. I don't think he thinks it's a good movie. Okay. But he is not one to enjoy a movie, ironically. I just... I went. I spent money. I saw it in the theater. <laughs> I rented it at Redbox the way you're supposed to. And... It's it's bananas. 
like it's poorly made yes. it's poorly directed and it's just, poorly written and when you and look at poor, poorly acted look at the number of producers on the movie and it tells you everything where it's just it's a bunch of people who had some money to invest and well, no one knew what to do like you have always said about the different color script pages it's it's three things at once and again <laughs> that famous opening sequence which is justifiably famous yeah. for just being so batshit hi yeah. i'm john Gotti. i'm looking right into a camera <laughs> So we have, and I didn't see his other movie from this year, Speed Kills, which Adam says is worse than Gotti. Come with me on these adventures. <laughs> so we have uh, we have Bruce Willis, who makes big movies and doesn't give a shit. We have The Rock, who makes bad movies, big movies, and is is trying but has no, has quality, no quality control. control. And then we have John Travolta, who makes the worst movies and tries harder than anyone you have ever seen in a movie. I'll give you this. When you watch Gotti... It's clearly Travolta trying to give an Oscar-caliber performance. Which makes it sadder because you watch it and you think, this man has never given a good performance, right? And that's not true. He's given many good performances. Oh, no, no, no. I agree. But he's so and, – and, and God bless his wife, Kelly Preston. The two of them are in dinner theater. I mean they watched – 10 movies about Italian gangsters and now are in a, in a dinner theater production of Gotti exclamation point. And, uh, <laughs> it is just insane. I couldn't even follow. I don't even know what that movie was about. Like I couldn't even follow. Well, the comment that I kept making was, and I'm, I don't mean to compare it to the Godfather. I'm not comparing it to the Godfather. You can watch that movie and have no idea what these men are doing. Nope. They meet in rooms and drink coffee and swear. What What is the business? And if you haven't seen the Honest Trailers, regardless of your feeling about Honest Trailers, watch the Honest Trailers for Gotti, where they do a long-running side-by-side with Goodfellas, and it is something. I think I've seen that. Um, my next pick is maybe my biggest disappointment of the year, because I'm a fan of the series and I'm a fan of the filmmakers, and that is The Predator. Mm. Uh, I like Shane Black. I was excited that Fred Decker was writing a Hollywood movie. I was excited for a new Predator movie. I like a lot of the people in the cast. That movie's a fucking disaster, and it's another one that I've seen show up on 10 best lists or talked about as really fun. Um, who's to blame? I don't know. They reshot half that movie. It's it's Fred Decker would later tweet, and the weekend that movie came out, I was at Monster Palooza, and he was the guest on the Trailers from Hell podcast, and it was clear he had seen it already, but didn't want to say anything, yeah. because his position is it was taken out of his hands and completely changed. It's it's a it's a giant fucking mess. Like yes, not just the stuff that's reshot. Uh, I think all of it's a mess. I was there first show, first day. I was super excited about it. And no movie disappointed me more this year. I see a little gem. I think I can see what Decker meant the film to be. And it's all about the army guys in that bus. Mm -hmm. And that it was supposed to sort of be a dirty dozen. Mm -hmm. You know? But isn't that Predator? (laughs) Well, (laughs) that's... Yeah. Okay. Maybe because I like the actors in the bus. Me too. Some. Some. wish they were given better things to do and better things to say and a better plot. 
You but, could argue also that the movie, uh, you know, I know that we're it's 2018 and we're all politically correct and everything is hashtag problematic and you can roll your eyes at that. But when you look at some of this movie's treatment of, say, the character with Tourette's or the character with Asperger's, um, it's yeah. kind of offensive. It's a little retro. Yeah. Um, bad blockbusters. You know, we, we had our pick this year. Maybe my least favorite outside of, well, I guess Venom and Rampage fall into that category as well. But Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom yeah. is almost as bad as studio movies get, I think. And this is like a rewrite of the famous Mike Pomero quote. If someone had told me when I was 12, there's going to be a comic book movie every yeah, week, right, I right. would have said swell. <laughs> if someone had approached 10-year-old John and said, there's going to be a movie where there's dinosaurs in a haunted mansion. Yeah, right. Oh, my God. Yeah, just ill-conceived, stupid, not poorly made. And all of the stuff at the end oh, is pointing God. to to a storyline in more sequels that, yeah. what are you thinking? It is further evidence, and many critics said this when the movie came out and sucked again, um, even though some have made the case that, it, well, at least it's better than Jurassic World, which I would disagree with, but okay. Um that Jurassic Park is a one-and-done idea. That we just shouldn't have all of these sequels to Jurassic Park. It worked once, the Especially end. Especially because the first film is... Right. And every other movie has been essentially a reworking of that same idea. Um, I would love to believe that this movie's artistic failure would lead someone to think, oh, yeah, maybe they're, they have a point. Maybe we should stop making Jurassic Park movies. But they make... Lots and lots of money, and that's not going to happen. So Jurassic World 3, coming soon to some theater near you. Jurassic Park 3, I am Jurassic. <laughs> no joke. Uh, yeah. Um, and I only have one more that I know is also on your list. So We've discussed Happy Time Murder. There it is. Is that the one that you think is the worst movie of the last five yes, years? And yeah. that it's so aggressively bad. Yeah. In advancing an idea of entertainment <laughs> that's not, it is so sure. It is so sure and is another example of once we hire Melissa McCarthy, our job is done. Mm -hmm. Turn on the cameras, light the lights. She'll bring it. Yeah. I mean, the one thing I can say about it, I guess, was like, well, I, I didn't see the puppeteers. <laughs> <laughs> they, they they stayed out of sight until the end credit sequence. Well, sure. where we get to see right. how the most bilious. I think we see a lot of behind the scenes thing, but the whole thing with the silly string. And that's that's the joke in the movie. There's that movie has a joke, and I don't mean it. It has one joke that it keeps repeating. I mean it contains one joke, and that's the joke that all the marketing was built around. I think the filmmakers though think, what what is it that gets them high? Oh, I've already forgotten. But yeah, candy, sugar, I, like sugar, sugar is yeah. the drugs. Yeah. yeah, that the filmmakers think that. I, I guess. Ho ho! It is to laugh. Again, you have a template, and it's Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and yeah, you can you can just do that and throw in a couple jokes. It doesn't have to be great. I could have enjoyed puppets swearing and shooting each other, you know. Um, but it's it's just it's almost not anything. It's. <laughs> My quote, put this on the the, uh, the DVD for Happy Time Murders. Ugly and weird. Sure. Uh, that, that's it for me, so I don't know what else you have on your list. Um, I've got a short list, just quickly, 
of films that were made to get someone an Oscar nomination. Okay. I'm going to file these under ugly yeah. because none of these films are worth your time. And they're all based on performance and none of them work because the performance was the point. Okay. Operation Finale. Didn't see it. Puzzle. Saw it. <laughs> do, do you see what I'm saying? <laughs> well, yeah. Juliet Naked. Haven't seen it. The Wife. Haven't seen it. And the people in The Wife, you, you should know better. Um, first Man, to a certain extent, mm. I thought sort of fell under that uh, rubric. Uh, Green Book, obviously. Mm. And Old Man and the Gun. Oh, also haven't seen that. I have so much residual affection for everyone in that film. It blinded me for the first hour as to what we were really seeing. Okay. And certainly when the film came out and Robert Redford said, well, I think this is it. That cemented it because, okay, <laughs> Academy, you have a... Right, right, right. Um, I also recently saw Fahrenheit 11.9. Oh, for I some just reason, watched that the other night. And here's the problem. While clearly I agree with him politically, that is a confused, confusing movie because the selling point is I'm going to expose Trump. But it actually comes across as a third of it is sort of a sequel to Roger and Me mm -hmm. about the Flint water thing. Yeah. But Donald Trump visited Flint, so there's the connection. And then another third of it is about the hope of younger candidates for Congress and the Stoneman Douglas kids. It's really not completely about Trump. It's it's not it's not about anything. Yeah. It's not even about this is America in this year. Um, which it could have been if it had combined a lot of these things. And it was the first, not the first time, but I felt embarrassed at times to be watched. Not just his voiceover, which I found yeah. insulting, but some of the, uh, like the citizen's arrest. And at times where he's just throwing up clips of Trump complimenting his daughter. And it's when like, he, but what do you, what, you're just, here, he oh, goes, here's some bad shit with Trump. Like, yeah, when he goes to make the citizen's uh, arrest, it's, like it's a fucking embarrassment. Um, so if anything, because I do like some of Michael Moore's films, Me the too. earlier ones more than the more recent yes. ones. Yeah. I just thought this was meandering and lazy. Yes, and and the movie that I think so many of his critics are so often accuse him, accuse of, making, him of making, and I would argue at times, no, that's not really. You know, he's making this other thing, and but this is this is that this is that that was a bad movie, man. In the in in the past, in the world of journalism, it was called muckraking. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so that's it for our overrated, underrated, ugly. Next week, a much more happy show, a positive show. And you can post comments about how wrong we are. Oh, absolutely. Please. I know that there's there's a movie I left off because I think it's going to show up on two of your top ten lists. I'm a glutton for punishment. Oh, yeah, you are. Um, anyway, thank you guys for listening. We will be back next week with uh, my favorite show to do every year, our favorites of the year. Uh, happy 2019. Happy New Year. Tell us your New Year's resolutions. Tell us how wrong we are. Tell us something. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to FS Movie.